Go ahead, Ray. You! You worthless piece of slime! You ignorant, disgusting clown! Nothing but an unstable short chain molecule! It's the stuff. It's like pure concentrated evil. It's all flowing right to this spot. Material devolution has begun. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a pleasure to have you back again. Material Devolution Podcast, it is going down, as usual, here in beautiful San Diego. A midweek recording this week. Matt Walter, how you doing? Going long and strong, Devin, feeling good. It is midweek, it's Thursday, and uh, I'm on vacation officially from work now, which feels really good. It's been a long time coming. So, about ready to get into this little podcast. We've been away for a little while, but we are back now and ready to do it to it. Bringing up a topic, kind of a revisiting of one of our past podcasts. Yeah, you know, before we send you into the uh, the tropical sunset to an undisclosed location, we don't want any, uh, you know, stalkers of the podcast to track it down. There's some water. And we're having explosions and all yeah. kinds of crazy shit. There, there goes some yeah, water on your, on your new furniture, Matt. <laughs> well, it looks fabulous. I think it's a nice coat on there. Nice year. <laughs> Outstanding. All right, well, that's not going to do any damage immediately, so let's uh, go ahead. And yeah, yeah. Why, why, don't you, why don't you grab some and wipe that up with it? I'll, I'll just do a little intro here. So this week what we're going to be doing is we're going to be kind of revisiting a timely topic. About a year ago today, a little less, we did an episode called Dump on Trump, where it was the beginning of the Republican presidential primary, essentially, and Donald Trump had been announced as a candidate. He did uh, a long-form interview with NBC's Katie Turr, and things just took a very, uh, you know, Orwellian dystopian turn for the worse. It just was, uh, you know, modern-day Schrodinger of the type of political cartoon circus fraud act we've rarely seen in modern times. And here we are almost a year later, and lo and behold, year 2016, Republican presidential nominee, Donald Trump. How did we get here? What's going on? This is just, uh, it was something unfathomable back then. It seemed like a joke. I, I personally didn't believe we'd ever reach this point. I felt like it would be impossible for, you know, what's essential, a card trick, you know, uh, a scammer, a snake oil salesman could beat politicians at their own game. But lo and behold, it's been done, and here we are. So I ask you, Matt, how did we get here? It's a good question. I mean, from the very first debate, Republican debate, that I had to watch because you just had to see Donald Trump, right? And because it was it was a sideshow, it was like a charade, right? You're like, he's a he's a reality TV star. He's obviously a good hype man, hyping himself the best. And so you're like, I gotta see this. He's built a brand, the brand brand of Trump. Yeah, and he is the brand. He was the first, you know, nowadays they have all these marketers, you know, these people that are self promoters on Twitter and that's like their job is to like promote themselves and like what they do. So they get like uh, <clears throat> sponsors and things like that to, you know, promote them and they promote themselves. Trump was the first guy to do that. Right. So he like did this like in the eighties with casinos and himself and put himself on the, on the, on the towers and, and, and dating like women younger than him or foreign exotic women from Russia, right, or whatever. And so you have to watch this guy, right, because he just has this magnetism about 
you don't know what he's going to say. He's like Don King or Mike Tyson if you after a fight, right? I'm going to eat his children. <laughs> but do you think that's enough to carry you through an election? Like, was there more to the Trump phenomenon than the train wreck car crash phenomenon where everybody just wants to see what happens next? Like, of course, he's getting huge coverage and huge media ratings because everybody wants to see the car crash. The question is, can the car crash win an election? Well, it just won the nomination. So he definitely theoretically could win an election. How is he carrying so far? Like, what are the other dynamic factors at play here? Because there has to be more legs to this horse than that. It can't just be the freak show factor. Other politicians have ran before, I think, with, you know, maybe not the level of media exposure that you could get in modern times. And basically, if Trump shows up, it gets double the ratings, at least. Well, I think I think people I think people are very disgruntled. I think people are angry. I think people are are a little bit afraid, um, especially the populace in which he resonates. Right. So the the, the his his base is really um, a a the middle American mindset that has a little bit less. Uh, a little bit more aversion to uh, the actual mixing uh, melting pot. So if you speak of America and you know kind of what we've uh, become, and so I think that he strikes a chord with them. I think people are upset with the establishment. I think that they believe that uh, the government is had something um, to do with, or at least turn the, the blind eye in 2008. I think that's really sticking with people still. I think people are still struggling and trying to. Kind of dig themselves out from that sort of thing, and I think that Donald Trump has that "fuck you in your face" attitude, where people just like that. It's, it doesn't matter what he's saying; they just—it's like a, it's like something like American to be like "fuck you," like "fuck your feelings." You know? Yeah, I think there's a category of people where they have this twisted mindset that government is both the cause of all the problems and the solution for all the problems. And they hold this view at the exact same time. So, you know, they blame the government for everything that's happened, and the solution is to just change the people running the government, not essentially the structure of the government, which looks crazy to me. So, for, for Trump to actually get here, it definitely says something about people being angry and upset. I think it also says something about for the limited outlets they have, because think about it. You basically had a bunch of political lifetime appointees, whether it's like a governor like Kasich or senators like Rubio and Cruz, these people have been playing the political game their whole lives. Who's the outrage candidate? They had one. They had Donald Trump, this businessman. Who do we have on like the left? Well, they Bernie had Serena and they had Carson. Is that the outrage candidates? Well, I mean, but they were outsiders. Furiana to a degree, for sure. I mean, Carson definitely to a degree. Though, I mean, he's been in the political game. He's definitely on the outside. Well, let me ask side. you this. Let's, let's, let's come off of Trump a little bit. Why, why Ted Cruz? Like after, like, after watching all of those debates, he was really, like, the least impressive to me. Well, you know, they say with the... Speaking as a... So do you think Cruz, Trump was, like, Cruz was a byproduct of the Trump phenomenon, so he just got that other side of... I'm, I mean, I'm a little bit of a political neophyte. I know somewhat about the dynamic. It's tough to say specifically... It's a good point to bring up how Cruz came into play because basically the huge political force that was driving Republican politics since the turn of the millennia was the Tea Party, the Tea Party movement, this take back our country movement. You know, usually it's the party of the angry white man, you might say for lack of a better word. And this was really driving the politics 
behind the entire conservative political scene and Republican candidates were being put in check that if you didn't kind of adhere to this Tea Party line, they were going to come after your seats. And you saw the emergence of these candidates, Trump and Cruz, who had that firebrand Tea Party belief behind them. They had the most fervent supporters, the most ideologically charged supporters. You know, these people were definitely the most angry out of everyone's supporters by far. And they kind of split them. The difference was, were you a Trump supporter, who I consider Trump to be a cynical opportunist, or were you a Cruz supporter, who I consider to be a true believer? Like a fundamentalist. So this is the question of the debate it came down to. And it, I mean, it was raised within margins, but it was ultimately a cynical opportunist, to Donald Trump, a wolf in sheep's clothing, a snake oil salesman, a man who say whatever it takes to get the money out of your pocket into his hand, versus somebody who will drink the Kool-Aid. He'll mix it and he'll drink it. Here, it's good, let me take a sip, see? Tastes fine to me, now have a glass. That's Ted Cruz. This is a guy who actually probably believed everything he said with views that, even if they weren't as twisted as Donald Trump, right. were definitely believably his views. I mean, Trump's a guy who I honestly don't know what he thinks about anything. I, honestly. Yeah, he, he, he can't eloquently describe any of his thoughts, which makes me think, why is he, are these thoughts? Did, he just, did his writers give them to him? Did he think he's up in his brain? Like, this is going to score me more points with the angry white guy crowd. I really just need to piss off, you know, more minorities. It's an interesting thing to watch this guy speak because he's able to say so much with saying so little. And say so much and say so little in general, right? I, mean, I, I, would, be the best, I would be the best president. I will make the best policies. The people okay. love me. The economy will be good. My hands are giant. I mean, when you speak in general pluralities, you don't even need to talk. You can read the fucking dictionary. No one will care. And this is what I feel like listening to this guy talk. He's either insulting you or he's reading the dictionary, but he's never actually saying anything. I just, I just totally, I just totally thought of a tweet that I, I'm not a tweet, a text that I sent out, and it was, it was like literally that we're gonna make America great again. So great, it's gonna be the greatest great that you've ever seen. I mean, amazing. We're gonna do amazing things. These things are gonna be awesome. The wall's gonna be huge. Mexico's gonna pay for it. You know, it's interesting when did I just sound like that guy? People have nostalgia for the past, which is ironic usually because it has to do with your past. If you came from a background where things were good for you and your family said, you know, this is how the country should be, then you're going to be like, that's how things should always be. But if the past wasn't good to you, you're going to be like, well, fuck that. We need to change things up. So it's really a matter of how your past affected you into how you see this country shaped in the future. And I think people who are really angry at this country... They were really instilled with like their parents' mindset about like this is the way the country is and the way the country should be. And you see parts of it changing. You can argue whether or not you like the parts of it that are changing, but you can't fight progress ultimately. It's human nature. And I really think you see this nostalgia for the past where people kind of have this ideological idea yeah, of how things were 40, 50 years they ago. They harken back to a time that never really was. You only remember the parts that you like want to. Like, you know, that you don't remember the bad parts. You just you gloss over that stuff and you make the 60s and the 50s and the 70s or whatever. You just remember the best parts of them and you don't remember the other struggles that was going on at the same time. And I think that's what happens with a lot of Americans. Like, this whole, like, harking back to Reagan and all this stuff. I mean, it's kind of crazy, but, like, there was also a lot of crazy 
you know, in the 80s, you know, hey, the, the Save the Clones scandal, you had some other, Iran-Contra, uh, Iran you had some other issues going on, AIDS epidemic, you know? You can, you can go on and on. Yeah, no, I can literally go on and on. I, it is, makes sense that you look through the past with rose-colored lens. For one reason or anything, maybe it was a simpler time just because we weren't so interconnected. You didn't know about all this stuff. I mean, think about that. Pretty much for the entirety of human history, up until the last like 30, 40 years, you're pretty much completely in the dark outside of like what a newspaper told you. Your bubble, right? You know, like a TV show was the equivalent of a newspaper. It was so filtered and so streamlined. It was a visual representation of the newspaper. There was no independent thought. You didn't have like this mass input of everyone's basically a news source. So that's changed the dynamics and our ability to connect, which has led to this point where you know on the Republican end of the spectrum. People are so angry that you're willing, like I said, you're choosing the cynical opportunist or the true believer. I think it would be interesting to look at candidates who didn't make it and see why maybe they didn't work. I'll ask your thoughts on a few. Bush version two. Why didn't he work? One, I think that he didn't get his thoughts across very well. I didn't think he fired people up when he spoke. I think he did have that like dish rag type of attitude, like a little bit. And honestly, I didn't think that Jeb ever looked like he really wanted it. What do you mean wanted it? Well, I just didn't think that you know he, he wanted. Hey, listen, you wouldn't be running if you didn't want it. Yeah. But I know what you mean. He didn't have the look that you'd associate with a Republican presidential nominee. The type of arrogant confidence that this is my nomination. You guys just don't realize it yet. I'm just gonna, I'm here to tell you guys what you don't already know, which is that I'm your nominee. He kind of had this more wishy-washy, like, you're not gonna pick these other guys over me. I mean, come on, come on. I've yeah, never been in this. And people saw that, and I think they saw weakness. Right, exactly, and, then, and that's what I think it was with him. And I just think that he couldn't overcome the, uh, the the Trump uh, megalomania either. I don't think like you know Trump just kind of he's he's such a big bully up there that like he made Jeb look even weaker. Like that's what that's what Trump did really really well. Matt, if we went back to our schoolyard times and I asked you how to deal with a bully, how would you deal with them? If he picked on you, would you call him a name? Would you call the principal on him? No, you punch him right in the face. You punch him right in the mouth. So I think in the beginning, all these candidates, and Bush especially, they were guilty of Trump was basically being a bully to all of them, and they were all taking it, he's going to call me names and pick on me? Well, I'm going to call him names. I'm going to tell everyone how mean he is. I'm going to go afterwards to the media and be like, he was so mean. Didn't you guys see how mean he was? I'm going to go tell the principal. You know what? That's great and all well and, well and good, and guess what? That might win you some brownie points, but the general consensus of most people is they don't like that behavior. They like seeing people get put in their place. And that psychology of it, of getting picked on and being abused by somebody, people don't want to see that in their presidential candidates. Well, they took the wrong tack. You know, the fact of the matter is, is the way that they should have punched Trump right in the face is just get down to the details of, of, of policy. That's all they'd have to do. They'd really have to show their governmental acumen and talk about substantive pieces of their each of their policy based on, on whatever nope, it is. Nope. No, man, because listen, because he, he couldn't hang with that. And he just and when they did that, the one time he just kinda that was the one debate where he kinda got sucked into the background. You win a debate based on the terms of the debate you set. So when Donald Trump changes the terms of the debate, because listen, none of them are going to insult him to start. They're counterpunchers. They can't be, they're, they're taking the political high ground. I'm a governor, I'm a senator, 
I can't come out here in this debate and just start like throwing body shots at this guy. But if he hits me, I've got to hit him back. That should be your mindset, you know? Right, but that's what I'm saying. So like that's what you stood once he threw threw the first punch, you just start yeah. you start doing that. But if some you can't change the grounds of the fight. If somebody punches you, you can't be like, Well, I'm gonna sue you in court for that that's punch. Like, I'm gonna sue you in court, I'm gonna call the police and arrest you. But here's the thing You could Trump, do that, but by then you've already lost the fight. But Trump went after people with the same type of, you know, name calling and th- and he had that real like, you know, twelve year old, you know, childish type of Banter. Exactly. And what what did we see at the very end of the debate when Trump was an unstoppable force? Every candidate who before had called the principal, gone to the media and said how mean Trump was and they were above that, they were all taking shots at Trump. All of them. But it was too late. Right. They, 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 they realized what was happening way too late. They moved like sloths to react. When this guy was on stage in the beginning talking smack about them, they should have all been in group with their political heavy hitters. Like, listen, we're making the next two hours literally about how much we hate this guy and how terrible he is. We're not even going to talk a minute about policy. We're going to talk about Trump stakes. We're going to talk about Trump investments in Dubai. Everybody's going to use their five minutes of time to just talk about Trump. They're going to ask you about health care. What do you think about Obamacare? I think Obamacare is terrible, but not as terrible as a Trump stake. I ate it once. It made my teeth fall out. I wanted Obamacare after that stake. If you took that mindset, let me tell you, let me tell you, if you took that mindset, now you're right. Maybe that's not the political high ground. That's not the moral, ethical thing to do. That's what would have worked. We're talking about how do you win a political game. When the political game becomes who's the biggest swinging dick in the schoolyard, that's what Trump made it about. He made it about my hands aren't small. I've got huge hands. Who's got the bigger dick? That's what the contest was. He walked out on that stage and went, I'm a billionaire. What have you guys ever done? How big's your bank account? I run the world. And nobody stood up to him. They just let him think his dick was that big. And because of that, we now have Donald Trump, small-handed Republican presidential nominee. What are, the other phenomenal thing, though, about Trump is, is that he can actually say something like what he said about abortion, right? He said that women that have abortion, mothers that have abortion, Does he believe should, it? Should be, well, here, but here's the thing. So he says this, right? He says it. Women who have women who have abortions should be punished, right? And then everybody is in an uproar about what he saw, what he said, right? And then three days later, he comes back and says, <clears throat> "Abortion laws are fine the way they are." So he really didn't say anything, but he got exactly. It. When, he, when does he ever say? But, but this is the thing. So it's very interesting, though, because like you know, there's a segment of his base of his of his supporters who are very, very hardline pro-life, right? And he was able to say that and kind of whip them up and be like, yeah, that's our guy, even though we don't agree with that far, but you know, we still think that uh, you know, women uh, should not be able to have abortions. And then he walks it back two days later. Nobody talks about that. Brilliant. Stuff. So he's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant person. Brilliant political gamesmanship. Doesn't make him a brilliant person. Because he knows, because he knows that the, that the first time is the only time that really matters. Nobody's listening in the wake of the what the outrageous, outlandish thing that he said. Nobody reads the retraction. Exactly. There, there was a story on another podcast that I listened to that they told about where uh, some guy took like a picture of, uh, I think it was at like a, a Walmart and there was like a May the 4th be with you sign or something like that. Some, some Star Wars display, something jokey. So he took a picture for his kids, because kids like Star Wars, and he shared it on Instagram or Facebook with them, and they liked it. And 
Next thing you know, the next day, there's a picture of him up on Facebook with tens of thousands of shares saying that he's a child molester. And I guess what happened was there were some other kids in the picture because it's a Star Wars display. They weren't prominently featured, but they were in the picture. And this lady saw him taking pictures and she thought he was like a pedophile taking pictures of her kids. So she puts this post up and shared thousands of times and he calls her, sends her a message like, you know, I've taken a picture of my kids, for my kids of the sign. I didn't even see your kids there to be honest. You know, I'm, I'm a father of three, I'm married. So I don't know what you're talking about. I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'll post a retraction. It was shared about, you know, like one fifteenth right. of the times that it was initially shared. Mm -hmm. You're a pedophile. Yeah. That, that's pretty much it. It doesn't matter what the truth is. The truth is what the story got out first. Yep, exactly. And that's the way politics work. So if you want to win a primary, it's all about winning your base. Mm -hmm. You know the other side's going to hate you, so now just win your base. Let's mm -hmm. say something to rev them up, get some media attention, then let's get blown under the dust to be brought up later by your enemies. Right. I mean, it is a phenomenon, right? I mean, it's an absolute phenomenon is what this guy's been able to, to pull off. But it's also been an embarrassment. I mean, like I've worked with some people uh, who are, are Canadians over the border and, you know, they were down here in February or March and we were talking and they were like, we just watch for entertainment. You know, we watch these guys for entertainment. We just pop a beer, sit back and watch it because it's crazy. They're like, we can't believe that this guy's actually winning. And so it's, it's just, it is, there is a phenomenon out there about it. And it's, it's a little scary, but you know, at the same time, you know, he, he might be the most brilliant person on the face of this planet. Like, like you That's said, not go too far. Nobody, I'm exaggerating obviously, but nobody really knows what this guy is capable of. When you're navigating a field of credence, it doesn't make you a genius. It just makes you the least Cretan-esque. Well, I'm just saying that, right? Like, you, nobody really knows what he stands for. Like, is he right-wing or not? Because well, that, it's just a game. You know, him, you right? know I, I think that was a good analysis of Bush. I mean, I personally feel like nobody ever got the bad taste of uh, W out of their mouth. You know, after Katrina, his polls plummeted and they never recovered. You know, I mean, it, it wasn't the war in Iraq that did Bush in, it was Katrina. Mm -hmm. And the government's response to that, that just killed him with minorities and eventually everyone overall. I mean, it really hurt him in the South. And because of that, I think people are like, you know what? We've had enough of this dynasty shit, at least on the right, because it was a bad taste. You know, on the left, Clinton was a pretty good taste in the left's mouth because even though he really wasn't on the left, they were like, you know, Outside of a few blow, a outside of a few blowjob scandals, just because it's yeah. Bill Clinton. Outside so. of a few blowjob scandals, tasted really good in the left's mouth. Hey, we don't need to go there. The pun was already made. Well, we'll leave this open interpretation <laughs> for our for our listeners, the seven of them out there. So Bush, bad taste in the mouth. You know, no matter how mouthwash, you'll always remember some of the stuff that went down. So then you moved on. Let's talk about Carly Fiorina for a minute, who was kind of like the right answer to Hillary initially. They're like, you know what? We'll beat them at their own game. The women vote is the key. But that didn't work out either because white men don't like being told what to do by a woman. Am I wrong? Am, am, am I wrong here? It's a true story, I'm sure. You know, that it, it, am, I, am I wrong? Tell me I'm wrong. Well, here's the thing about Fiorina. Um, she came off too much of, a, of an ice woman, I think. I, don't, I, I think that she just... So Elizabeth, not... Elizabeth Warren should have run? <laughs> well, Elizabeth Warren... Yeah, she's a smart lady. I mean, I, I know it's, uh, you know, conflicting terminology, but name me a compassionate conservative. 
that could run for president that's a female. No, well, that's true. I think that you have to have a certain kind of hardness to uh, be a CEO or to be a politician. To be a conservative, yeah. female, Republican presidential nominee, you think you could be compassionate? No, I didn't say that. I, I just what I just said. So was she doomed then because it's like she has to play this ice queen role? Maybe she is or she isn't, but she clearly embraced that type of persona and she felt like, you know, the CEO role is the right role to play. That's what Trump's playing. And even though I ran Google Packard into the ground, I'm the perfect person to rep the CEO role. Right? I can sell it, you know. I'm tough. I'm stern. I'm icy. I saw a funny note yesterday that said... Uh, the consolation prize for uh, Carly Fiorina for her to run with uh, Ted Cruz was that she gets to fire his entire um, staff. Staff. Yeah. <laughs> hey, she, she was uh, a vice president president candidate for all six days. The biggest joke ever. Uh, Why would you do that if you're not getting it for the long haul? She was, but I mean, we're talking about the Hail Mary. No, not her or him. Like, why, yeah, if he wasn't in it for the long haul, to, to the convention, like they've always been talking about, why wouldn't, why would, if you, why would you name her and then drop out, like, freaking six days later? Oh, I mean, they knew that he could... That was, that was the Hail Mary, Mac. That was the Statue of Liberty plaque. Yeah, that was the wrong time. What happened was, I believe, Indiana was a must-win state. It was. If he didn't win Indiana, he was mathematically doomed to the point where he couldn't stop Trump from getting number of, uh, you know, mm -hmm. delegates needed. This was a key battleground state. Things were looking good for him. He was giving a Hoosier speech. Oh, the basketball ring thing? And he pulled out the basketball ring. From that moment, Can't like, no basketball. It, it was literally like, it's like um, the purity ring. It was like a lightning bolt from heavens that come down from Zeus himself and struck Ted Cruz. Because he just had a moment of just political madness we're in the most important conservative basketball place in the country. You could call it a hoop. You could call it a bucket. You could call it a basket. You could call it a rim. You could call it, rim. You could call it a lot of things. You know, the net. Call it the, the basketball ring. <laughs> you just don't. It's like, it's like, it's like a, a ring is bad enough. You obviously hoop, basket, Raphael, bucket. Hoop, Raphael. Hoop, hey, hoop, basket, bucket. We're all happy with those. Those are great. You call it a ring, I'm gonna be like, all right, I don't, I don't like it, but it is a ring. You call it a basketball ring, I'm like, what other ring are we talking about here? Throw me the football ball. <laughs> Kick the soccer in the goal, goal. Yeah. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah. What are we doing here? So from that moment on, it was like, bad. the polls were plummeting, bad, bad. the polls were going down, you're like, we, we got one last play. We got, the woman. we got to try something. Bringing the heavy hitter, throw it in the end zone. Yeah, they were like, damn it, Sarah Palin's already taken with Donald Trump. We can't get her. Because she would have done a lot for us. We both are. You it's, know. it's impossible. She already endorsed them, so she can't be on no, your team. No, I'm saying it can't be on. You know? like, so they were like, get the other best chick. You know, I, I think they were like thinking, like, well, this is what will bring them over to our side. You know, the people who are on the fence, they'll be like, well, you know what? It's a woman. Nobody liked Fiorina, dude. Didn't she like finish seventh or something in the two states that she was in for the for the um, uh, election? She finished really poorly in all the caucus. Yeah, in all the caucuses. I just remember that like she had like one decent debate performance. They said I didn't think it was decent, but they said she had like a decent debate performance and that boosted her in the polls. Whatever the hell that means, I thought she was doomed the whole time. Yeah, but, so uh, did I. 
Didn't she? The one they said she did good was like about the the fake the, the dead baby video that she didn't even see or something. Oh, she got behind those Planned Parenthood jokesters that had like the falsified illegal video that they pretended showed like what they were like selling body parts, which they weren't doing. Right. And these guys got convicted of like a felony. <laughs> yeah, and she was all over it. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, of course. I'm sure she retracted it later, we just didn't catch it. So Carly, I personally felt like, you know... No, nah, man, she was starting. She, she didn't have a chance. She lost the gubernatorial race uh, in uh, in California. Carly's like your racist friend who always goes, you know, but I've got a black friend. This was like the Republican Party safe saying, we, got, we got chicks. We've got female candidates. Right? Look, 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 we love women. Look, look at this one woman candidate. Now, nobody's going to vote for her, right. but we love her. Right. But we, even though we don't. Well, I think that they were just trying to show diversity. You know, they had a couple Latinos up there. They had a black guy. They had a they had a um, a woman. They had Trump, an orange guy. And uh, funny, right? They're pro diversity in appearance, but not in perspective. Well, that's why it's so interesting, right? They just had this like colorful array of people up on the stage, but that's all. That's the only They're place so that they were was up on the stage. You turn the cameras yeah. around and it's not like that. They're so superficial that they literally think that the, diff- like North the, Korea. the difference between winning and losing is being black or being female. And the only reason that white people are losing is that the minority votes holding them back. So if we just had a minority with our views, we'd be in. And then they always end up choosing a white guy in the end. It's like North Korea. They're just like, we're not really sure if that missile that's sitting there really works. We're just going to parade it in front of all the crowd to show our show of force that we actually have this, right? So like, that's like the whole idea. We'll just put these people up on the stage, and uh, we look like a, a nice multicultural uh, type of organization. But we're the grand old party through and through, so don't ever forget that. Exactly. Carly, we love you. We've got female presidential right. candidates. Oh, you lost. Get back in the kitchen. In the second debate, we need you to go ahead and uh, talk about some false videos, and, uh, and then you just exit quietly. Don't worry. Ted Cruz might give you a call. Maybe you <laughs> will. Maybe you won't. Don't worry about it. We got you taken care of. I know you got that HP bonus money still, girl. Right? So, Carly was dead and buried. Yeah, dead in the water. Ben Carson. Let's not even talk about Ben Carson. Oh, All that needs to be said is that the man had a painting of himself with Jesus in his study. MMA fighter Vitor Belfort tweeted this picture of himself with Ben Carson shortly before he dropped out of the primary. And he has a picture of himself, Ben Carson, painted where he and Jesus are like together. Like, like they are both alive at the same time. This is like a life, real, life realism painting where it's a time where they both existed. The somewhat semi-fictional character of Jesus Christ and Ben Carson, neurosurgeon slash presidential candidate. Living at the same time? Well, I mean, it's a representation, I'm sure. Like I said. It's an interpretation. I, if I always remember Ben Carson, it will always be for that. <laughs> always. Well, man, I mean, honestly, he... No, just no. Yeah, we don't talk about him. Yeah. He's so that boring. So let's go to something who's actually interesting to talk about. Let's go to the true believer, Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz. Well, we've talked a lot about Cruz. Um, I mean, this guy literally. I think I think Ted Cruz is the scummiest person on the face of this planet. I, I don't think. He, I don't think. He, I don't think that, <laughs> That's pretty high. I don't That's think that high. he really. I don't think that he really believes everything he says either. I think he'll, he's one of those guys that um, he might believe it, but have you seen videos of this guy from like 20, 30 years ago? No, it's the same guy. Oh yeah. He, like, nothing. Nothing's changed. The way he talks. The way he looks. The way he acts. 
So like if you hate him now, you would have hated him then. He's just slimy to me, man. Like I can't even look at the guy and like watch him talk. Like I, I just I have a I just he just is. I, I don't know. I don't believe a thing that he says. I think that he's just a slime ball. True believer, my friend. True believer, and he almost got there. He was this close. That's the craziest part. He had to make so many political missteps. Yeah, no, that's you know, it's like the evangelical vote, right? So he gets that whole evangelical, which I don't even understand because the evangelical, like the word evangelical means like they take it straight from the Bible um, and they live their life by the Bible, you know, whatever. It, it, aren't all Christians like that? Aren't aren't all of the religious, like truly religious, like that, that, that stick to a doctrine? It, it doesn't everybody live like that? I, so I don't understand how they differentiate themselves truly. From just the the regular other people that follow people blindly. I mean, what do you mean exactly? Well, I'm just saying they call themselves evangelical. They're always like the evangelical vote. Well, they 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 have the whole country considers themselves a Christian nation, and so I don't really understand. Well, there's a huge spectrum there, right? Because the evangelicals are people who specifically believe that the second coming of Christ is going to be triggered during Armageddon and the true believers are going to rise to heaven and all the evil people are going to go to hell and this is going to happen in their lifetime at a battle in Jerusalem. That's the evangelical mindset. There's many subsections of Christianity that adopt that point of view, Book of Revelations, whatever it is. Then there's the huge, huge spectrum of other Christians. And I mean, these people, me personally, I consider them just unaccepting atheists because... They've already not accepted parts of the book of Christianity. I mean, I've always said, if you're going to go crazy, be completely crazy. If you're going to believe in this book, you can't tell me, well, I'm going to pick the parts I like and follow those. Oh, and the parts, and the parts I don't like. I mean, that's, 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 that's what like, everyone does to varying degrees. People, yeah. That's what everyone does, right? But that's what most people do. They pick the parts they like, and they throw out the parts they don't, and they say it's supposed to be a story. This gives us our values, and you can interpret it in that way. That's what most of the country does. They use it as like a, a shared history of values through morals and ethics told through these stories that our ancestors and everyone's read and followed for thousands of years. There's some stability in that tradition. And I think that's the larger chunk of the country. The evangelical movement is very small, but that's the most fervent politically. Right. What people are gonna get to go to a rally for four hours for Ted Cruz, okay? That's not somebody with a life map. <laughs> that's somebody who's hoping for the end of the world. They're at a Ted Cruz rally for the 17th time in a year, Praying for Jesus to rise up and light this world aflame so they never have to listen to Ted Cruz as long as they live. These are the people at this rally. They're as happy as they can be. They're probably like, this is probably going to bring about the end times. We're giving Ted Cruz more speaking platform. <laughs> you know? Ted, we got to elect this guy. That'll definitely bring about the end times. we got to elect him. He this will bring the end of the world. He is definitely. Hey, they might even think Ted Cruz is the devil. And they're like, you got to elect the devil to bring Jesus back. <laughs> this guy's going to end the world. Let's put him in power well, that's and not, Jesus comes back and saves Because us. then when Boehner was said that he was like Lucifer in the flesh, they all would have been like, everybody would have flocked over to him, right? I mean, Hillary Clinton released a sick burn video where it just opens with Trump saying, I'm a united, you know, I'm a united. People love me. And then it's just 60 seconds of, you know, every major Republican possible from Boehner to... You know, all the candidates we just talked about, to Mitt, Romney. to Mitt Romney, just tearing him a new one. And now they're all going to go to a convention and be like, this guy should be your president. The guy we call a hypocritical, two-faced, money-grubbing, Lucifer-worshipping, Satan-induced, like, piece of capitalistic shit. And that's being nice. That's our presidential candidate. Not all of them are going to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
The, bush, the bushes aren't going. I'm saying that's why the tone of politics is important. You see that tone on the conservative side where, you know... Who do you think he's going to, like, like uh, nominate as a VP? Who do you think he's going to pick? Chris Christie? No, come on. Chris Christie was trying to get his fat ass in there. You know he was. I, I'm sure, but, like, I'm, I doubt it. I don't think it would be him, right? Why not? No. Because I don't think that he can win. You've got a, you've got a disgusting, ugly, out of shape, greedy, egotistical East Coaster from the Garden State, right near New York. Yeah, but I mean, I don't. I, I think it. I, I don't know, man. Maybe maybe even somebody like Rubio, who we didn't talk about. Why do you think Rubio lost? That's true. We didn't even talk about Rubio. He seems so unimportant. Rubio is like, uh, but he's been groomed for this. He's been like bought and paid for since he was in like, in like law school. I think Rubio. I mean, even his tagline, "A New American Century," the project for "A New American Century" was like a think tank with like Donald Rumsfeld and William Crystal and freaking Cheney and some of these other people. I think he's another example of this failure of conservative politics, where you believe that by changing the candidate's gender or race. You're or making see, him younger. They were trying or to making him younger. Him. You're gonna see. You're gonna significantly alter the support behind him. So they're like, okay, Rubio. Well, he's a man, but he's a young man, and he's a Latino man. So where a Republican candidate normally, we're only getting all these white people. We're getting a few things here and there. These conservative sections of these parties. He's gonna bring in the Latino vote. He looks white. He's gonna bring in the young vote. Guess what? He didn't bring in the Latino vote because his views. Are anti-Latino, and he didn't bring in the young vote because his views are viewed by young people as moronic and revisionist. So he's not bringing in those votes. They figured out that really quickly in the polling. Young people and Latinos don't like this guy. So why the hell did we put him here in the first place? Dude, he talks like a robot too. Did you ever notice that? Like everything was like a scripted answer. Like he never, ever, ever deviated from it. And then he got caught in that shit. There's only two politicians who don't sound scripted. Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump. The irony is, oh yeah, Hillary sounds terrible. Like that too. I can't even listen. They're to politicians. That. Politicians can't help but sound like politicians. Everything has to be so rehearsed. Bernie Sanders is actually like a real human being, so he sounds like a real human being when he talks. He has the same like kind of speech patterns and way he brings up facts. Now he's more presidential. We saw interviews from like years past when he wasn't running for president. This was like a politician. It was like a real dude. Trump's the same way. This guy wasn't running politics his whole life. So that's why people I do think like Trump a lot is you don't feel like you're. Like, it's oh, a guy talking and brash too. He does. He didn't use a teleprompter except when he had to talk to the you know pro-Israel fundraising group or whatever. Then he was real sure because you don't want to say the wrong thing to those guys. But uh, he doesn't use a teleprompter usually because he doesn't want to sound scripted. That's what people like about him. They they love it when this guy goes improv and makes fun of people and just sounds like he's talking off the cuff because it sounds real to them. He might not be saying anything. But he's saying nothing in a very enjoyable way. Let's talk about this. You know, we haven't talked about the fact that, you know, he, he was, for all intents and purposes, staunch Democrat. Like, he believed in universal health care. He was a middle, middle of the road guy. And so he, so he, yeah, he still believed in, like, universal health care. He was slightly liberal socially and always very fiscally conservative. As well, well as of course, because he's a fucking billionaire. Yeah. But, like, so you think about that in ways and you're like, hmm. Again, leads to the question... Who is Donald Trump and what does he really think? Well, now that he's the nominee... He can move left now. He, pro- he, he probably will. Uh, I doubt that. I think he's going to move right. 
No, come on. You need to bring over all the people who are behind Ted now. You need to bring the true believers over to your side. You can't alienate them. You just want, I mean, you just split the true believer vote between cynical opportunists and the true believers. How do you bring the true believers back to your side? You don't run away from them and say, well, now that you don't have a choice, guess what? I'm getting even more left. Yeah, but like, I now you go, you guys, we're gonna make up, we're gonna be friends. Guess what? I'm on your side. Come well, along, do put that your eyes. He'll do that first. You gotta stick with those. Those people will turn on you in a second. Yeah, the second they see you do something that Jesus doesn't like, you're the, dead. The preservation of the party means more than than the than preservation party. of the party. Well, that's what I'm saying. To keep to stay in the to stay in the uh, you know in the, to have the White House and the Senate and the House like to have those like those things and, and try to you know um, move things in the right direction. They they want to have complete control. They definitely don't want Hillary in there. Of course not. So that's what I'm saying. They're going to vote on party lines. So they can move, he can move over there and get those people first. We already know that he's the king of like the flip flop deception. So he can just do things. He, he's able to do stuff that like people, before people even realize that it just happened. Well, I think that's why people saw this type of like. Like, who's the con in here, right? He's the biggest con man, right? So who's he con in? Is he con in the country? Is he con in his base? Is he con in the political system? Or is it just one big freaking thing and he just likes being in the middle of it? Well, he's in an interesting dilemma. I don't know if you've ever looked at like electoral college maps, have you, before? I have. So, I mean, you might have seen recently that basically Hillary Clinton, if the states that have gone Democrat in the last six election cycles, which is pretty consistent that they will. You're thinking all the West and East right. Coast. Right, only comes down to like one or two states. She literally only needs to carry Florida. She needs one state. Mm-hmm. If she focuses all her resources on that one state in the next couple of months and wins that one state, she's a lot. Now, on the Republican end, you've got to actually do a lot more based on how the maps lay out. You've got to win some battleground states, they call them. That's very tough to do when you've alienated so many people. This Republican process... Right. Basically, all the people who are going to vote Republican, initially, they're always going to vote Republican. Mm-hmm. They're the same thing with Democrats, usually. People who are going to vote Democrats, they're always going to vote Democrats. Very it's true. the undecideds that decide the elections. Mm-hmm. So it's how do you push the undecideds to your side? Well, if you're... So you're saying he has a longer road to hope. These candidates savaged each other so bad on the Republican side that even though Trump's the nominee, even amongst conservatives, people don't have a favorable view of Trump. So how are you going to bring over those independents that you just spent the last year making think that every candidate you choose is a piece of shit? You know, at least some people still like Hillary, even if people but don't, don't, don't think, like her. Don't you think independents don't like her, some of them. Don't you think on the Republican side to win the primary, you really had to do what Trump did? Don't you think that this time was one of those times where... If Trump didn't enter the race, things would have been so different. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, right? Like, would, would they have actually talked about policy and politics? Or would they have gone down such a, a road of just you know going after each other? It, there were so many, right? So what didn't don't you think that lent itself to that as well? They've been looking for a political star for a while. The Republicans ever since Obama won the they first did. time. Jindal was Bobby Jindal. Remember they had this Indian guy read this terrible speech, shot like a piece of paper, he had to take a break to get a drink and then of water. They had the Virginia governor, right? Who got caught like wasn't it Jindal who got ripped because he had to take like a break to drink water for like twenty seconds in the middle of the speech? No, I think that was Rubio. That was Rubio. Yeah. yeah he was like drinking that water. But like it's like Obama gets like the first time, we'll have an Indian dude do the speech after. Obama gets like the second time, we'll have a Latino guy do the speech. I mean, what are they gonna do if Hillary wins? Right? You know? 
They're gonna have to, they're gonna have to find another ethnicity to give a speech. Cowboys cheerleaders up there do something. <laughs> no, man, it, it is. It's a very interesting type of situation. I mean, like I think that um, I think that it, it proves that this country, there's a part of this country that doesn't really know what it's frustrated about because I think that Trump is one of these like. Um, exemplifies the fact that you can just kind of lash out at everybody, right? It's like, I'm upset with Muslims, I'm upset with immigration, we're upset with trade. You know, I mean, he hits on every one of those touch points. And so, don't you think it's indicative of, you know, kind of like maybe where middle, middle America really doesn't have a sense of itself? And is America changing that much that the conservative people that, 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 that support Trump are are they do you think that they're kind of kind of kind of lost their own identity a little bit i don't know it's a tough thing to say you know there's a lack of nuance i mean we live on the coast so we live in a very different type of environment where we are mixed up and shuffled around and shaken up with a bunch of different cultures and it's very very normal for us to hear uh, um, spanish spoken um it's very uh, you know we, we, we interact with a lot of different people from a lot of different races and places. Um, and so we don't really like, we're not in that, that, that kind of rust belt in the, uh, in the Midwest and the Southern, you know, type of attitudes as, as, as much. You know, it's tough to say, like I said, it's very nuanced. If you don't grow up in these communities and these cultures, it's very difficult to tap into that energy, that frequency that's resonating. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you've traveled anywhere through this country, which I'm sure you have now a lot recently, you'll notice that every state's very, very different from oh, every yeah. other state. For sure. These are countries that we call states. That's how different they are culturally. You know, I mean, California is more different from Texas culturally than, you know, like... Parts of California, though. Parts of California. California's kind of bad. Okay, okay. Let's say like Vermont's more different from Oklahoma culturally than India and Pakistan because that's a religious difference over there if anything but the food they eat the landscape the lot with the, the style of music this and that they're all very similar there's huge huge disparities between these two things so I think there's just like this lack of nuance I think for certain types of people in the political scene where if you're into anger you just want to see anger you don't see whether or not it's real anger or it's directed in the right way or there's an explanation behind the anger it's just an outlet, you know, you're tapped into the game on a whole different level and everyone's looking for something different. People will choose candidates for different reasons. It seems like in this state, you're kind of brought up in one or two types of mindsets in this country. You're either, you know, looking to fix things or you're looking to bless things back the way they were. Yeah, you're looking to fix things towards the future or to change things back the way they were. You know, nobody's trying to maintain. It's either we need to go back to how it was or we need to look forward to the future. And you definitely see that with the candidates forgetting and what they're saying, right? We need to build a wall. We need these laws back. We need to stop Obamacare. You know, you need to stop things. You need to like put walls up between things. It's very regressive attitudes and policies. So it's going to be interesting to watch this uh, political circus play out. I'm not happy that things worked out like this. I mean, it could have been worse. It could have been... Uh, Ted Cruz, I really do believe that's worse. That is worse. In, in the choice between a cynical opportunist 
and a true believer, always choose the cynical opportunist. Of course, yeah. I mean, I think Cruz is a very dangerous uh, person, has very dangerous thoughts. I was listening to him talk in uh, Idaho, and I swear that that guy basically said in his speech, we're going to cut all the trees down, we're going to pollute the water again, we're going to make all poor people sick, and we're going to instill Christian values on this country. Literally, that's what he said, because he was like, we are going to repeal all the freaking crushing regulation on, e- on the EPA that the, uh, the government has placed on uh, businesses. We're going to repeal Obamacare, and we're going to repeal the Clean Water uh, Rights Act, and we're going to, um, and then we're going to, uh, you know, instill constitutional values, which, you know, they weren't really based on any kind of religion, so I don't really understand why this is so closely tied to uh, to that, you know. So, regardless of what anybody believes, I think that we are in a, um, man, I, I just, there's... We're at a, a precipice. There's so. nobody good coming up around this bend. We're at a precipice. We're about to witness the great decline, the great fall, probably. Well, I think that's something that we need to really start to brace ourselves for. I mean, it happens to every great country which dominates for a long time or a short period of time in this instance. But, you know, after World War II, London became the, you know, London began the quick slide uh, into uh, the second place, you know, in regards to... We're very ingenious here, Matt. Read Matt Taibbi's article, The Great American Bubble Machine. Mm -hmm. Fascinating article about how the last 20 to 30 years of American economic policies been either exploiting or creating economic bubbles from real estate to the internet, basically finding an area that can be gouged for money, passing the, the cost on the taxpayers, and then keeping the graft running. America's the longest running graft in the world. And let me tell you, the people running this graft aren't going to let it go out anytime soon. Right, exactly. So I think we're going to see more of the same. I, for one, will definitely be watching, observing, laughing hopefully discussing again on the podcast. I thank you for your time, Matt. I hope you have a great trip. It should be fun. When you come back refreshed and recharged, we'll do something not political, maybe an interview. Ooh, there we go. For a second. Change things up. Excellent. Sounds good. Yeah, it'll be really fun. Let's do it. I'm glad we got back in front of the microphones, and thank you all for listening, and we're signing off from the Material Devolution Podcast. Have a good one. Peace and love as always.